Hey there, Doug here. It's Monday, so that means bonus episode. And this week, it's with an amazing musician who's actually named Monday, and that's Monday Michiru. When I first chatted with her, I thought she was just a musician, nothing against musicians, but it had been my first that I chatted with. So when I'm doing my pre-interview research, I found out some pretty cool things, like her parents are world-renowned musicians. She has videos on YouTube with over 1 million views. And the fact that she was an actress at one point, all pretty rad, but I'll let her tell you about that. She's a better storyteller than I am. And if you are in the tri-state area and are a singer songwriter, then you should check out her storytellers workshop, in New York city. I'll put all the links in the episode notes so you can get more details and also check out her website, mondaymachiru.com or last name spelled M I C H I R U. Now enjoy my chat with Monday. Sweet. Well, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I'm so sorry I'm late to the party. <laughs> oh, don't don't you worry about it. I appreciate you taking the time. What I like to do with these, you're the first musician that I'm talking to, but from doing some research on on you yeah, over the last few weeks, you are right up, you know, acting and doing all that. So we'll get into that. Okay. But, uh, so where does your story begin? Where'd you grow up? Well, I uh, actually was born in Japan and uh, then moved to the East Coast of the U.S. Uh, until three, then went back to Japan, Southern Japan in Beppu, and then from age seven came back to the States. So namely, I've been in New York most of the time, I guess, in L.A. and um, a little bit in Michigan when I went to the school out there, uh, Interlochen Arts Academy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so at what point, because I know that you grew up in a house of extremely talented musicians. Yeah. So at what point, which one did you fall in love with first? Was it like the music end of it or acting? No, you know, the acting really was a byproduct of my being trained in music. So essentially, you know, as you said, my parents are musicians and I quickly uh, grew to love that and um, discovered that you know, not too much of a surprise that I actually have, you know, some talent in that. <laughs> so, uh, I, no, that sounds so big headed, you know, it's like humble brag, I'm talented. <laughs> anyhow, you know, it is. Anyhow, so I, um, um, you know, I just started uh, playing classically the flute and I went to a performance arts school and graduated from there. And um, as I was sort of, you know, figuring out what I could do musically that, I don't know, was going to help me express myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I ended up um, getting a, as we say in Japanese, love call. That's what they call when uh, someone scouts you and wants you to go. Oh, home. really? Okay. Yeah, I love that love call. So I yeah. got a call from a director in Japan and he had seen my picture and uh, saw that I'm classically um uh, trained, even though I was trained in, in flute, but also that I, uh, at that time, was studying the voice, um, not classically. Um, and he was making a film about, not so much about, but the lead was a opera singer. And he is renowned in Japan. He's passed away since, but he was renowned in Japan for always using people um, who were not uh, professionally actors. So he would try to find a person who best fit the character um, that he wanted to portray. So, you know, being that the lead uh, 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 character was a 
opera singer and the fact that I had classical training and was a singer, he thought that I would fit the role. And when he gave me the opportunity, I, I just couldn't say no. It wasn't something that I thought I would want to do. <laughs> I thought I'd be a fool to turn down this opportunity. Like who, who gets a call, you know, just suddenly out of the blue saying, Hey, you want to act uh, as a lead in a film? I know. Yeah. So, so that, that's the acting start. <laughs> so it was just based on a, a photograph. How did he come across that? Well, it's another convoluted story, but I was working at the time in Los Angeles as an assistant, like an executive assistant slash secretary um, to a vice president of the international section of a film distribution company. And being that it was the international section, we had clients from all over the world, including Japan. And being that I'm half Japanese and was raised a little bit uh, in the country, I could speak Japanese fluently. And so whenever our clients would come in from Japan, they were like, ah, Michiru-chan. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, it was a, like a like a mutual adoration. You know, being half Japanese is almost like being half uh, black. So even though you might be half something else, like Scandinavian, you're still always going to be looked at as being black. So me being half Italian, I just look Asian. So I'm always going to look Asian, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so for them, it's like, ah, you're one of our tribe. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was like the instant um, camaraderie there. And, um, and one of the clients uh, was... Uh, uh, took a liking to me for, for whatever reason. I mean, I guess I'm sort of charming <laughs> and sort of a nice person. Anyhow, so they invited me to dinner one night, and um, at, the, at the dinner was this po- – um, she's not a poet. She was a lyricist, uh, very well-known in Japan. It was the first time I'd met her, and I didn't really know a lot of people in that industry. But she was very kind, and, and the guy who had invited me to dinner said, hey, you know, maybe you can introduce – her to somebody in Japan because she really wants to get into music and you know a lot of people in that industry so when she went back she took it to heart I had given her my my bio and a demo and a picture and she gave it to uh, a person who um, heads his own management and management company as well as um recording label who also happened to be a producer of various projects and it happens to be he was one of the producers for this film so it's a long wow <laughs> story about this but but it's interesting how it is that you never think is going to lead you to a certain direction suddenly will take a left turn and and it's an interesting world out there you know yeah, you give a photo a bio and a demo yeah i'm sure on like a cassette right yeah, yeah, exactly. It was 1987, so it was definitely <laughs> on cassette. Thank you for realizing that. <laughs> and then it goes all the way from L.A., and then it just happens to be it. And then you're in a movie, and you won some serious awards. I did. Um, and again, this was not anything that, you know, when someone gets into something as amazing as acting, you know, it's, it's, it's so, I don't know, fantastical that, you know, people who get into that, they train for years and years and that's all they've ever dreamed of. And they hope that they're going to get some sort of an award and recognition. I really literally stumbled onto it. <laughs> I felt, I just want you to know, 
I mean, face flat. Like I, it was not like an instantaneous, oh, I'm such a natural at it. And boy, it was just, everything was easy. Nothing was easy. <laughs> My <laughs> Japanese having lived in you know, America for so long had started to take that 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 you know accent of ooh you are not a local you are not a native native so I had to go through speech therapy and and just grueling hours of going over my lines and getting the accents right and 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 all that I mean I, I can tell you stuff it was just it was not easy is all I have to say but I think more than the fact that I tried so hard I mean I really did um, was the fact that this director was really um, uh, respected in his field and the people that he usually chose uh, went on to lucrative careers in in acting um, and I think it was sort of part of the hope <laughs> that I was also going to follow suit so you know I don't want to take um, complete uh, uh, I don't know say hey it's because I worked so hard and I was so great that I got this <laughs> It was a team effort, you know, and I don't say this as a humble brag. I really, really, truly mean the director was great and he he had a track record. So people were looking at that and, and the film was so out there. It was like a like a Fellini film. It was just really, really bizarre in some sense, very avant-garde. And I don't think people really knew how to comprehend it <laughs> in the mainstream. So it's like, wow, it's so, un, you know, it's so hard to understand. It must be great and she must be really good. So <laughs> I sort of feel like that's part of the reason I got, <laughs> I got these awards. <laughs> and then from that, you did, I didn't see it on IMDb, but I saw you did some more acting roles up until like 93. And then you did some TV stuff too. Yeah, I did. It, it just one fell after the other. Wow. I, yeah. I ended up because of the awards, just, you know, the, the spotlight was on me. And so it was easy for my manager to, um, you know, get, get roles for me and, and to sort of snowball after that. But as, as that was going on, I just felt so out of my depth. You know, when you do something, um, whatever line of work you're in and you see the people around you, you're either feeling like, wow, this is my tribe, or you really feel like, wow, I have no idea how to connect with these people. <laughs> and that was the feeling I got. I, on occasion, I would be in a situation where I had other actors who were also involved in music in some way. And that was the only time but I felt like oh I can connect with you and we can sort of you know communicate with each other and have an understanding but otherwise it was really really uh, difficult and and I think you know that's something to always keep in mind that even if you're doing something uh, a little different and and stuff you sort of get a feeling for when you're in a place that you should be. And, and that's sort of this certain feeling of recognition with the other people and, and the ability to be able to communicate, you know? Yeah. And then all while you're all doing that, then you have your first album come out in 91. What was that like? Oh, that was fantastic. I mean, that was all I wanted. So, you know, the management company that I was involved with also, as I've mentioned, had their own label and I had a direct connection with the president. So I would, 
see him a few times a year. He would just check in on me, make sure that I'm acclimating to my life in Japan okay. And and I told him each chance I got, hey, so when are we going to do something that's music related? So he knew that that's really what I wanted to do. Um, and in 1990 or 91, um, Virgin Records had opened their label in Japan. So, you know, my the president of the company fast-tracked me there and I was finally able to do what I really wanted wanted to do and and it was a great experience i i finally felt like i was able to explore what i wanted to pursue and you know again this was not a situation of oh first album and it was a big hit no it wasn't it barely sold <laughs> <laughs> Virgin eventually uh, shut down their their operations there after a year or two. And, you know, nothing comes easy. But if you keep pursuing what you want, it eventually it happens, you know? Yeah. Well, what was it? Obviously, parents are always supportive no matter what you do. Sure. But obviously, them being in music, I'm sure they were excited in the movie that you're in. But when your album came out. That must have been like a special moment to have a, an album out and follow in your, in your parents' footsteps. I, you know, I hope so. I never asked them what they thought about it. I think they always felt, um, being jazz musicians themselves, that they really couldn't understand what it was that I was trying to do musically. Because <laughs> I'm not a jazz musician, even though a lot of people will peg me as one. I have a lot of jazz leanings and jazz hints <laughs> um, and flavors, but I'm not really a jazz musician. So from the start, they were sort of like, okay, so she's acting. And they came to the screening and they were really proud that I was doing something, you know, so interesting and creative. I think they were more uh, happy about the fact that I was pursuing the creative arts and, and that made them happy to see that I was working hard at it. And, you know, and, and there were accolades and that was great. So when I did do the first album, I did reach out to them and said, Hey, I have this one song that, um, no matter how you look at it, it's a jazz ballad. And I'd love for you to be involved in the mu- in the album. And would you do it? So they said yes. And, you know, um, out of a album of, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 songs, I can't remember now, they, they actually did do the one song. So, oh, that is so cool. Yeah, that was, that was a moment for me, definitely. <laughs> and it's like a moment, especially when it comes to music. Obviously, if it's like a live performance, somebody can record it and you have memories. But that is like you know, frozen in time because you can always go back and listen to that. That's so cool. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And so when I was doing research on you and I was like going through YouTube and just looking at so many videos, you are insanely popular. (laughs) I I was going from like video to video and just like watching them and then clicking. It's like one's a hundred thousand. Then the next one has like 200,000 views. Then one had like a million. I'm like, wow, that is so, what is that like? Do you ever go and look for yourself on YouTube or? Uh, you know, the only time I go and look for myself in YouTube is because someone asked me for a link of something. <laughs> I'll do that. But honestly, I've never noticed the numbers. And that's sort of shocking. Really? <laughs> yeah. And the comments are really cool. I talk to some actors all the time and they talk about like iconic roles that they had. And it was like something 20, 30 years ago. And I'll tell them, hey, check out this video. I'll send you the link. And the comments are like so kind about them. The same thing for you, like the, what people say about how much they love your music. Aww. It's like really cool. So if you ever have like a sad kind of day, you can go back. <laughs> and check it out. Little self perk. Okay. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <laughs> so, so what year, maybe like what album do you feel like you really hit your stride? Because obviously you said the first one, maybe I'm sure no matter what you put out there creatively, you're always happy with what you did at the moment. But at what point were you like, this is, this is Monday's groove? Oh, um, I, you know, I think, um, well, see, this is, this is the hard one because what the public will perceive as your best moments is not necessarily what the artist is. Going oh, I'm sure. Are their best moments. So in terms of where I hit my stride um, in, I hate to use the word popularity, but where the masses, you know, particularly in Japan, were able to grasp onto and say, man, this is like, I dig this so much, would probably have been in 1998 or 99, around there. Those albums really, um, and, and by those albums, I, you know, I have to name it, it's a Double Image and also Optimista. Those two albums really captured the heart of a lot of people and, and, um, and it was thrilling, of course, you know, you work so hard at your craft and then to have people, um, um, I don't know, just, just give you the accolades and it, it translates to sales is always wonderful. And, and people coming to your shows and telling you how, you know, your music has made a difference to them is always gratifying. Um, but in terms of musically, I really felt that I was starting to develop and morph more and more. I, I'm a self-learner. Even though I'm trained classically on the flute, it never prepared me for what I ended up doing musically in terms of songwriting and stuff. I'm not trained, you know, like with my chords. I, I don't have the basic theory, <laughs> you know, like a lot of jazz kids nowadays yeah. in school. And like by the time they're 15, they were able to rip every Coltrane, uh, you know, um, solo and stuff. I had <laughs> done that. So I really had to sort of find my way around around everything and sort of figure it out. And And in a way that's, been a positive because I don't have the formulas under my belt. So I've had to discover not formulas, but discover things. And so there's maybe I, if, if I were to give myself a little humble brag here, there's a uniqueness to my musical approach and the uniqueness to my compositions as such. And, um, and I feel like I started to get in Japanese, we call it bushi it means like a style, you know, like your own style. I started to develop my own style really probably by like year between 2000 and 2005. It started to really start to mold together. And the stuff I'm doing now is less about the accents of the production, but I really have gone into bare bones of just the composition and the song itself, you know? So. Yeah. No, that's really cool that you said that. And it's true. There's like, you hear stories about like the band Toto, like the song Africa, which is like everywhere. Like that was like a throw on like 13th track. They just needed to fill up like album space. And that became like the hit. Yeah. And even Billy Joel, like he kind of jokes about it. I'm sure he loves his hit songs, but he'll even say like when he's playing live shows, uh, my buddies and my wife has seen him a bunch of times yeah. and he like, I'm going to play some new stuff. So if you want to go get a drink or go to the bathroom, <laughs> 
Because I think people, you know, like like you said, like that was the time. So was that right around the time Dance Dance Revolution? Oh, my God. So that one is based off of this single that I came out with in 1998. That was probably my biggest hit. And um, and the Dance Revolution was after that, meaning um, because that was a hit, Dance Revolution took hit songs and put it into their their stuff. And that was a song that they chose of mine, which I think came out, what, like 2005 or something? I don't even know. What oh, is that late? I remember the games were out for a long time because I remember in like middle school and high school, like kids would be playing that at the at the balls. And I, I mean, I'm from New Jersey. Okay. So yeah, like in central Jersey, like Edison area, like I remember going to the mall there and people would always be playing that. But that's so that? funny. Did you, did you ever play the game? No, I don't even know. I <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know that it was a game. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Dance Revolution. I don't know. Is it a disco album? <laughs> I'm so unaware. It's really sort of sad. That's great. It's like your, your manager and it's like, just make sure the check clears. We don't even know what it is. Oh, man. The check is not nothing these days. <laughs> no, but that's, no, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. So, uh, so, so you've played music, seems like over, all over the world, right? Well, pretty much, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Is there any like obscure places or countries that you've performed in? Obscure? Gosh, I don't like, know. Bali? Really? Um, yeah. I mean, it's not so obscure. It's not it's, so, but still. Yeah. It's- yeah, it is. It was, I thought it was pretty cool to do that. And then I DJed once in um, Stockholm, which was sort of cool. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did you get approached to do that? Um, you know, back in the day, um, I used to DJ. And oh, really? Yeah. Uh, the reason I did so was, aside from the fact that I was an avid vinyl collector, you know, when you perform as a singer, unless you're like Alicia Keys and able to play the piano and sing as well, um, you're really dependent on other musicians to back you up. So I do do a lot of duets with just guitar particularly just guitar, but sometimes also with piano, which means you have to hire somebody else, which means it's going to cost more to do that. So especially when you're going to smaller um, cities or towns, you know, villages, (laughs) you have to, you know, you have to think about the fact that they can't afford to pay a whole lot of money and you got to look at transportation and stuff. So the way we met that was that, oh, hey, you're a final collector, so maybe you can DJ. It's like, yeah, I could DJ. So I learned to DJ. And back then, and we're talking like the 90s, there weren't a lot of female um, DJs. And I was sort of known to be like, interesting in the stuff that I would pick up. Um, I was, you know, like, I guess I would do it more musically rather than just about the beats. So, you know, I had my own little style there. So I, I toured throughout Japan and then sometimes we would get DJs from overseas and we would get paired and they're like, Hey man, that's so cool. You DJ. So then through those links, I would get, um, call to do dj gigs you know i've done i've dj'd like i said in sweden a lot in london um did i do germany i feel like i did <laughs> i might be making that up i'm not, i can't remember anymore it was really back in the 90s i did all of that so did you yeah. do it in the states as well too like in la or new york 
No, no, I've never performed or DJed in LA. Um, by the time I moved back to New York, um, I was a mother and I had performed once, but that was with a group called um, Mondo Grosso. Um, but once I moved back here in 2000 and, you know, my, my kid was, was a little bit older, I started to perform and, and no, at that point I made a conscious effort to give up the, um, uh, to hang up my headphones, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because DJing is really, I mean, particularly the kind of music I did, is, which is very underground and it's very niche. You really have to be in the know and really, you know, it, it's like you go to a vinyl shop and the kind of stuff that you need to get to be sort of, I don't know, uh, to to have the right to DJ in my book is the stuff that they have behind the counter. But nowadays everything's online, everything's a CD and you know, it's, it's just a different game. So I, I just didn't want to do that anymore. It was like, okay, what am I focusing on being a DJ or being a musician? And I thought I'd rather focus on the music, you know, in terms of making writing the music. That's great. Here's one question that I always ask people. And obviously you, you were in movies and TV, but I always ask people, you know, when your show, especially I talk to a lot of people like guest star and TV shows, I say, hey, do you like, you know, set your DVRs, invite friends over or family and like watch the episode? And I would say most of the people say yes. So what's like a ritual that you do? Like, like you just had an album come out a couple of years ago, Naked Breath 2. Right. What do you, do you have like a rich, ritual? Because this isn't your first album. Do you do anything when it comes out? Is there like kind of a party or do you get together with family and listen to it? <laughs> you know, I wish I could say that I have a ritual and I really don't. Um, back when I was with a record label, um, we would have like a CD release party. And by that, it would be about getting the media, you know, to come out so they could report on it and um, having musician friends to come so they could support it and pick up a copy and do whatever it is they do on it. You know, most of them have like their own radio shows or pop, whatever it is, right? And then, um, and then you would perform live just to signify, hey, it's out there, really, win, <laughs> my dear child, you know. But but now it, I'm, uh, it, it's more obscure. It's sort of like I've got it. So you know, the night that um, it's mastered and and you get the hard copies, you know, a bottle of champagne will be open, and I'll enjoy it with some friends. But well, that's cool. Yeah, nothing deep and extreme like, okay, that's it. We've got a party going down with 10,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's even better, like a more of an intimate kind of like hang out with some friends, listen to it. No, that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think the biggest joy is to be able to give it to the people I really love. Like, hey, this came out and I want you to have it. You know, just to be able to give those first copies to, to cherish people and, of course, the people who worked on it to make it happen. And that's awesome. So... So you're in New York City. That's your base now. Where do you do you perform a lot in the city? I don't uh, perform a lot in the city. You know, the city is one of those animals that if you show yourself a little too much, it becomes blasé. So (laughs) (laughs) I've come to the point now that I'll do like three solid performances in Manhattan. Um, and, and each of them will sort of showcase the different parts of myself musically. So usually it's at Birdland, which is a legendary oh, yeah. club. Yeah. And so there I get to sort of stretch out and muscle a little bit of my more jazz leanings uh, musically. And, um, and then there's Kitano, which is this small 
um, jazz club, very intimate, that's inside of a Japanese hotel, <laughs> actually, like it's their, their lounge bar uh, restaurant sort of thing. And and there I'll do like a really intimate acoustic set. Um, so it's almost like you're you're just sitting in the you know in the audience. Oh wow. Yeah, which is sort of cool. And then the other one I love to do, actually, I particularly love to do is Joe's Pub. I just love that that's another intimate space, but, you know, a little bit bigger than the two that I just described. And the sound is really great. Like there's sound and their visual and the stage, everything about it just has this gorgeous New York vibe to it. And I could really stretch out and start to go into my little more, um, I don't want to say pop, but, you know, just outside of the jazz and, and Brazilian realm that I, you know, I do acoustically more. So that's a lot of fun. I get to play with the sounds more. Well, I'll keep tabs on you to please. make sure because we're, we're uh, the and we love jazz. We go to this jazz club in Montclair, New Jersey. Oh, cool. Off, yeah, it's called Shanghai Jazz. But uh, yeah, no, that'd be nice. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely keep tabs on you. So tell everyone about New York City Storytellers. <laughs> so it's actually called Storytellers Workshop NYC. Oh, cool. And, um, you know, back when I was living in Japan, um, towards the, um, the latter years, I was asked to come in and by record labels or, or producers saying, hey, you know, I've got this young uh, vocalist. She's really talented, but she doesn't have a lot of, uh, you know, experience. And maybe you could sort of give her some hints and stuff. So before I knew it, I was sort of becoming like the, the wizened old owl, <laughs> giving <laughs> grasshoppers some tips. And it was a lot of fun because, you know, when you start to get some experience under your belt, you, I think... Uh, you know, I think most musicians, well, most art, whatever, most people want to be able to pass that on to the next generation and, and nurture that next generation. And I have a lot of love and respect for people, particularly now where, when it's become even harder, you know, trying to do something in the creative field. So if there's anything I can impart, it just gives me great, great joy uh, and feeling that I'm giving to the community. So you know, um, the last few years I've been thinking about what can I do to teach and to lend myself my support to the community better here in, in New York. And um, the thing that I noticed that was interesting was a lot of, you know, conservatories and music schools, they don't really offer uh, lyric writing or songwriting from the perspective of a singer. Like they'll do a lot of compositional, you know, courses and stuff like that. And that starts to get into all those uh, music brainiac talk, which is which is you know integral, of course, but but for a singer, you know they they want to be able to sing their their melodies and perhaps they want to you know create the melodies and create their their lyrics that's going to tell their story that's going to express themselves and there was nothing that was teaching that and I thought you know what that is something that I might be able to help out in so just this summer I, I started my first course and it was really gratifying to be able to pass it on and I think uh, the participants who were involved really loved it so we're right now in round two with the fall session and again it's just uh, it's just something that I love and uh, and hope to be able to carry on with well that's really awesome well this has been great one question I have to ask before you go since you won all those awards <laughs> all do you do they travel with you do you still have them I do. That is cool. <laughs> I mean, they don't travel with me like in my pocket. <laughs> no, I know. 
<laughs> but like, some people would leave that in a box, like in the, you know, they might just leave it at their parents' house. Now that's cool that you still have that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a good conversation piece. Yeah, well, yeah, not a lot of people are invited to contribute this. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, by the way, I love your voice. You've got such a great voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've heard that for years. Then the reason I started this, because I, I wanted to do something that wasn't just like, there's so many like movie review podcasts out there that are all the same. And they're, so I wanted it to be unique. So my goal is every time, besides like speaking to amazing people like you and other people that weren't in movie sequels is I, me and my buddy, we talk about a movie and then the next week we interview somebody that worked on that, like a director, writer, actor, it could be a special effects coordinator. So it's been real fun because these are a lot of movies I grew up loving. So like hearing the behind the scenes stories and be able to like ask the person the question has, has been a lot of fun. And thank you. And my voice maybe helps because everybody seems to enjoy themselves. Oh no, you've got a great voice. It's so inviting. It's really Thank you. Yeah. But I can't sing. My wife doesn't let me do karaoke anymore because <laughs> when I start to like try to sing, it gets really bad. I even for our anniversary, I did a James Taylor song and I put it in the car. I sent her the, the link and it was, she liked it, but it was not good. Aww, <laughs> but nice. It was the thought. That's so sweet. That's yeah. really cute. Oh, wasn't Monday awesome? She actually had me blushing when she said she liked the sound of my voice. Coming from a, you know, a world-renowned musician as she is, I was blushing. Well, don't forget to check out Storytellers Workshop NYC and follow Monday on Instagram. It's just a, her full name, at Monday Machiru. Again, that's M-I-C-H-I-R-U. And her website's just her full name, just like her Instagram, mondaymachiro.com. So next episode... We were lucky enough to interview Bruce Lenoyle, who is a voice actor and a puppeteer. He worked on so many things I loved growing up, like Theodore Rex, Dinosaurs, Muppets, Space Invaders, and our next movie, Looney Tunes Back in Action, where he voiced Pepe Le Pew. And he also did a lot of you know green screen work with some of the animated characters. There's one scene on YouTube where you can actually see him in the outfit with his hand in the Daffy Duck bill. And Jenna Elfin's grabbing it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. And and there's so many more credits he has. So subscribe right now so you don't miss out. Review, rate, share our podcast. And follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And our new website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night.